Hello, I'm Mr. Movies of the Famous. Hello, I'm Mr. Movies of the Famous Film Twitter.com, and this is the Mr. Movies Podcast. and look at it, young human. Welcome back to the Mr. Movies Podcast, now with Extra Worms. Isn't it incredible how you and I, two adventurers, kind of stuck in the ever-twisting sands of time, sand doesn't twist, sand falls. I should know, this movie involves a lot of sand, much more dry than wet, as you will come to find out over the course of these two episodes. Wet doesn't necessarily imply good, even though everything is a desert. But here we are. You and I, two passengers on the ship of time, spy, spies. Ship, ship, spies. Spice on the ship, and you and I, you, me, we go, we go, we... We... Ah, my brain. <laughs> good job. Good job. Two, Two really good, good intros in a row. Let's all get After surviving the hand goopinator, we go through one of the most disgusting things Lynch has ever filmed, which is the boil-ridden NYU students doing something very wet. We talked about dampness and how it is always associated with things being real bad in this movie. And, um, ah, oh, oh no, my, my notes app crashed. Hey, uh, Alyssa, could you, yeah. could you tell me everything that happens here? In this scene? Yeah. My, my notes, I, my notes app crashed. I, I can't re- really recap it. Ah, it's, it's, it's just, it's wet cinema. Yeah. That's all, that's all it says. Well, it, it looks, it looks like because we're not, we don't, we don't really get any, establishing character stuff about many of the Harkonnens they're just disgusting like their their primary trait as a house is disgusting yeah it they're just gross yep that 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 the the Atreides are like uh they're like noble leaders Mm -hmm. the Fremen have access to a good that everyone needs and the Harkonnens are damp. <laughs> that seems to be all that they're good for. Yeah, and Ugh. also, and also, I I wondered about everybody having hair dyed red with a little. <laughs> if the that little was shape. like an Irish jab. Yeah what what was what was going on with that? Why was everyone a ginger? All I could think about in the scene was how funny it was that the '80s was just entirely homogenous in its belief that in the future the bad boy style will always be leather jacket adjacent. Yeah. Like, I want to know the movie that did it. Like, was it that Scorsese Warriors movie? Was it Escape from New York? Was it West Side Story? Yeah, like, where it, where did leather take off? But everything looks like a biker adjacent aesthetic. Yeah. And it's such a funny time period bias that the entire decade can't manage to shake. Yeah, it was... It was one of it's one of those things that that instantly dated everything. One thing I forgot to mention throughout this entire movie is the prevalence of pugs and bulldogs as right. international space colonization companions. So was this in the book or does Lynch just think that they're the grossest looking dogs? And then he was like, "Yeah, put put them in." I yeah, one. I think that I think that he he just decided that people uh, 11,000 years in the future are still going to be running uh, pug and bulldog breeding operations. And like every, 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 every royal house, every royal house just has their own 
dog breeder. Yeah, thinking thinking about uh, them figuring out how to preserve the exact genetic makeup of a pug and then keep, just keep <laughs> that in place for eleven thousand years is really depressing. Yeah, <laughs> and of course, and of course, like based on based on what happens with uh, with with the pug later on in the movie, it looks like they're expected to go into battle with their owners. Yeah, so that's also really upsetting. <laughs> Like like Hernando Cortez adjacent yeah, like, with the Mastiffs, but it's little it does, bugs. It does not pay to be to be a royal pug in in the Dune universe. It's still looking like a baked potato, being expected to stop bullets. <laughs> I yeah, I had I had some questions about that scene, but that that can wait. Okay. Later. Given the technology of the time, I think that in the next scene where they begin to fold space, uh, their means of intergalactic travel, that is. Mm -hmm. They did a really good job at depicting that uh, leaving your body and wandering the cosmos in a really interesting and creative way. There wasn't the tried-and-true Star Wars warp speed starlight stretch thing. It was completely nonsensical. uh, Lights going off everywhere, Brian Eno losing his fucking mind on the synthesizer... I don't know how much of it was intentional, but it it really would be something as hard to parse as this. I mean, that, so I... A bit, bit big boy brain smart mode. I read through the three-body problem, and there's a scene in the third book where they talk about, like, these guys who are lucky enough to experience the fourth dimension. And, like, they were describing it as, like, you move in a direction that doesn't exist. You know, like it's it oh, be, really it'd cool. be so so nonsensical for us to, um, like even be, begin to understand what it would be like to experience it because we don't really have like a concept of it. So this being as goofy as it is, uh, the the weird worm going up through the the hole and then the planets going places and then a spaceship automatically materializing, it feels like pure magic. Because yeah. I imagine if you actually experienced it, like if you went, I don't know, you went spiso sicko mode, it would be like this. Like yeah. your brain wouldn't be able to handle it, and it would just look like a magic trick, you know? Yeah, that's where I think I think the the strangeness and the surrealism really really does justice to this movie is in in all of the all of the visions the the running joke that i had throughout it (laughs) i thought about this and couldn't stop laughing was there are i think three different um scenes in the movie where this out-of-body experience happens Mm -hmm. and all three of them look like the bowling alley screens whenever you get a strike yeah like (laughs) oh yeah this man dissolves and becomes a puddle (laughs) The, the the hand the hand hovering yeah <laughs> well, the worm goes up in the hole and then it just you see text come up that just goes turkey that means three in a row <laughs> keep it up well it's just it's, it's just amazing because like the the imagery looks so silly but there's also there's also something really haunting about it and that's also the kind of thing that Lynch would go on to become very famous for yeah this is like lynch's trademark is like burrowing these awful disgusting looking things into your subconscious that weren't just put there to gross you out there's like Mm -hmm. some sort of primal reason that they're there and it's up to you to parse that which is again good filmmaking make me the big boy smart man (laughs) make me figure it out i love that give people something to talk about don't sit me down and edutain me. Oh, after this, we get something that you talked about was like nakedly absent from this movie, which is that they, they just quickly throw this in. They mention that there's a universal jihad that'll cleanse everything and yeah. then just move on from it. Probably not a big deal, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the movie doesn't talk about the Butlerian jihad, which is a big background event in the books where uh, people rose up against computers and destroyed what they, what they called thinking machines. And uh, there was a new uh, global order in which computers were forbidden. People were forbidden to make what they called thinking machines. Um, so everything, everything in the story of Dune 
is an outgrowth of people not being allowed to have computers, which is a really interesting premise. And I think, I think that's, that's sort of the glue that's missing from all of the narration and from all of the, all of the interspersed uh, dialogue that explains things is that you have all of these organizations and all of these people that have these inhuman psychic abilities that they developed over hundreds of thousands of years uh, in the absence of computers. Yeah, that is a huge bit of context that really, now that you've explained it, explains why all these people hate each other. Like, it's not just like, oh, this is racial differences. Oh, this is just protecting what's mine and making sure I get a fair share. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, a jihad. Like, an actual, like... (laughs) ongoing cleansing of the universe is going on (laughs) and like they just mention it in an offhand comment like a woman appears and is just like there's a jihad that uh you know risks all life in the universe and uh ooh, look here sand dunes yeah this is this is why i felt like the movie had both too much narration and not enough because because it like virginia madsen at the beginning explains a lot but not not really the thing that you need to understand everything in context. So you're sort of just oh, all, like all of these people have these creepy, spooky abilities, and everyone and, you're er, just and everyone have to get yeah over it. <laughs> yeah and like and and everyone is everyone is speaking in these courtly tones, and there's all of these organizations, and they're all fighting each other. And I, yeah, I think I think I think you need that understanding. Like if if I were you know. If I'm going back in time and helping punch up this script, I'm definitely putting in something about the Butlerian Jihad. Yeah, the, you could just insert it in the beginning. Yeah. Like where she's just talking about the spice. You know, just like a quick insert. Yeah. You know, uh, tensions are high because fucking... Uh, uh, <laughs> there's an ethnic cleansing that's happening on the entirety of space level. Yeah, yeah, because like you have, yeah, you have these different organizations that are that are jockeying for power in uh, both understandable geopolitical ways, but it's also it's also informed by uh, this system that uh, forbids the ways that people can use technology. So then people are constantly uh, setting these parameters of how they use these psychic abilities and running into conflicts that that creates. And that's That's just like, yeah, such a huge omission. (laughs) I mean, I don't know that, I don't know that it was an omission so much, so much as that, uh, there was, there was a a difference of vision in what to prioritize because again, like this is, this is one of, one of the most difficult adaptations of all time. So I don't, you know, I don't I don't fault anyone for, you know, for whatever direction they chose to take. Yeah, if there's anything that we've learned about this movie is that the book is literally unfilmable. Yeah. Like it it can't be filmed. And is that the fault of the filmmaker or the author? I'd say neither. Uh it, sometimes there's just going to be an inaccessible story. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just something can only exist in one medium. Which, uh, you, you know, I just realized, um, have you watched the movie Adaptation? Yeah. Uh, could you imagine if Charlie Kaufman was tasked to write Dune and, <laughs> and the <laughs> plot of Adaptation happened? It would be, it would be even, even more convoluted. Yeah. Donnie has to make the ending of Dune, <laughs> which just is the ending of Dune. Just, just layers within layers. God, that's so good. What a thought. When um, Paul finally makes it to Arrakis, what's funny is that on its surface, it's the same exact scene as uh, when we see Geonosis for the first time in Star Wars Episode Two, but with less budget and almost entirely practical effects, which, I mean, looks... Uh, it's, I, I'm going to be harping on about this a lot. I'm sorry. Uh, it, it looks better than a movie that came out 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't know. It's there's something about like 
CGI just improves at a rate that's it, it just exponentially gets better. So the second you release something, it's like, ah, that looks like shit now because look what you can do. And it, there's some I don't know something about bigging up, building up a big old rock, and like hanging a spaceship from like a, a fishing line. <laughs> it just it will just look really nice. Yeah. Um, but I, I was like stunned. I'm like, this movie looks a lot more recent than what it actually is, which is a film that is almost 40 years old. Yeah. God, that's so crazy. Oh man, we're so close to death. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. <laughs> We finally make our way through the desert, and we get these quick rundowns of how the suits work. Uh, like, yeah, here's your water, you shit in this bag on your thigh. Mm -hmm. Then they immediately start looking for spice, which again goes into that show-don't-tell, because who gives a shit how the suit works? It's the spice that matters, and it's, mm -hmm. it's that journey, it's the drive. I just realized that's probably my fifth time saying that. Um, I love the David Lynch cameo here. Uh, I love director inserts. I am a absolute buffoon who loves them. Anytime I see them, I clap like a seal and point at the screen and let everyone know that I know that that's the director. And I'm being completely serious. I love it. <laughs> He's like this guy who's just like working the levers and the gears underneath the thing. <laughs> and he's just got this heavy Midwestern nasal accent that's juxtaposed by literally... Sir Patrick Stewart. <laughs> I like that. I like that everyone kept their accents. Wonderful. And it's the best thing you can do in your movie. And you're you're just you're left to wonder how uh, Paul got developed an American accent while being raised by uh, a mother with a British accent and a father with a German accent. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because like if you're an intergalactic society. There's still regionalism in your accents. Yeah. Which is, like, the funniest implication. Like, there will be a branch of, like, uh, Saskatchewan spice uh, <laughs> miners. You know? Just, oh, yeah, you, you, you don't want to be walking with any sort of, uh, any sort of rhythm. They'll know that you're there, and they'll, they'll just, they'll just oop you right up. You know? <laughs> the, the, the various space Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> space Australians. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> wow, would you look at the size of that one? <laughs> As it like comes out of the sand. Spotter control. There's no sign of the carry-all. It isn't answering. The worm is eight minutes away, sir. Spotter control, give me a report by the numbers. Report one. No contact. Report two. Negative. Report three. Negative, sir. Report four. No contact. Repeat. No contact. I think they've got our carry-all. The practical effects of the worm swallowing the spice extraction rig that came after this, mm -hmm. even, even though it's like basically 40 years old at this point, felt so much better to watch than any sort of, uh, uh, I, I don't even know what you would substitute with it. Like it literally looks like something that, it, it looks like a hand puppet almost, like if you were to like zoom out enough. Yeah. You know, it's just like a guy doing a hand puppet out of sand and then crushing something that explodes. Mm -hmm. But like, I... It's such good filmmaking. It feels massive. It actually has, like, real consequences to it. Not just because there's an explosion, but, like, that's the first time we really, truly get, like... We, we see, like, the capabilities of the worms. Yeah. And, like, we, we're like, oh, shit, stakes. They're... We, we, we actually have them. This, you know, it's, it's not like a traditional sci-fi movie where it's like, oh, everyone on board will be all right. Because all the main characters are on board. Mm -hmm. It's actually like, yeah, there are real oh shit, here. yeah, you could actually die here. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I'm getting at is, at this point in the movie, I was like, I'm going to become a Dune as actually a masterpiece guy. Yeah, like, the, <laughs> the at movie. this point, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, at this point, like, I remember really liking that scene because, yeah, it looks, it looks kind of corny, but you're, you're seeing, uh, Paul and, uh, Liette Kynes watching the sandworm just destroy this thing like it's a toy car and they 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 really capture the sense of scale and the sheer terror of watching it yeah and it goes again back into like that body horror yeah it's like that you see every nook and cranny of the worm it, it looks like a real creature yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really scary and really gross you know what you could say that about a lot of david lynch's films yeah. <laughs> now that i'm thinking about it <laughs> 
a big attack happens or something. I don't know the geopolitics, but there's a lot of people screaming, and um, like they're screaming, "I love the Duke," and there's lasers. Uh, so I mean, it was enough to keep me hooked. Ultimately, the battle boils down to the gingers are taking over through poisoning and feeding people to worms which is a shockingly elaborate ploy to do when people are just, like, literally being shot everywhere around you. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of where I started realizing, like, I don't exactly understand Frank Herbert's politics. This is where I started looking into it, because, like, the concept of royalty and the society of them being, like, sacred and worthy of, like, an honorable death, but also just feed them to a worm who gives a shit, uh, just kind of, like, speaks to the fact that, like, the, the politics are incoherent. The whole have-you-no-honor tropes of, like, mm. a lot of this uh, almost sword-and-sorcery-adjacent type fantasy stuff, uh, it, it, it like, doesn't actually need to be in your story at all. Right. <laughs> it's way more believable that, like, just, like, nine crazy people broke into your base and just started poisoning people. Yeah. Like, th- th- that would happen in the desert world of Arrakis. God, that, taking that out of context would be bad. Yeah. I also, I have to note that uh, the the Sardaukar are described as, like, the most fearsome army the world has ever seen in the books, and here they just kind of look like trash men. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's fair. They're they're wearing hazmat suits. Yeah, they they do just kind of look like they were brought in to, like, clean up a hospital. Yeah. It's at this part of the movie that I completely lose comprehension of the plot. I had no idea what was going on because, mm-hmm. like, I'm assuming what happened was David Lynch was presenting this to, you know, producers. And he's like, you like, ah, we're making a lot of a lot of really good, you know, progress on this. It's uh, going to be amazing. And then they were like, how far into the book are you? And then he showed them the book where the bookmark was. Mm-hmm. And it was 45 pages in. <laughs> yeah, and, then like, at the end of that point, your movie's an hour. <laughs> yeah, at that, at that point, Dino De Laurentiis puts his foot down. Yeah, that's that's very much what happens, and then this movie becomes very, very difficult to parse from here on out. Like all of a sudden, um, you know, I've seen this movie twice. I've read the book. Still to this day, I have no idea what the voice is. Yeah. It, it seems people like, just kind of start talking like Satan. Yeah, it's sort of. It seems like the like the rules of the voice are very are very uh, loose and permeable because I I couldn't tell a few times if um, people were using the voice or if they if it was just a voiceover. Yeah, <laughs> like, is this is this literal or or uh, are people talking in a voice that Paul can hear? Uh, especially when Aaliyah uses it, it it sounds yeah. it sounds like Gollum. Yeah, like, like a mix between like the Duke <laughs> of New York and Gollum. <laughs> yeah, so it has there. Yeah, the, there were there's a few things in this movie that are unintentionally very funny, and I think that was one of them. So much happens after this. Goddamn. But we finally get the name drop. Paul Atreides is Muad'Dib. I have no clue how to actually spell it. And again, only I can read these notes. I'm not sure why I'm telling you guys about it. The spice to Paul has now opened up his third eye. Um, He's become one of those guys who knows everything. Like a Redditor in 2015 who decided to build his personality around the Higgs-Boson discovery. They use a tool as they're trying to get uh, to safe ground called a thumper, which is a real kind of thing here in Florida, funny enough. Have you ever seen the worm farmers? No. Oh, yeah, they're like real guys in, like, Miami. You just stick a big old thing of wood in the ground, and then you just kind of rub it, and then all the (laughs) worms come up. Like, a thumper's, like, very much like a thing (laughs) that exists with the bayou folk. Frank Herbert, you magnificent bastard. (laughs) Frank Herbert, what I'm saying is... He was speaking directly to me yep. and the swamp folk of Florida. <laughs> oh man, that's science fiction, baby. We love science. The thing that stood out the most in the scene to me is the fact that it's all just clever audio and video editing mm-hmm. and like a sock puppet. But the thing is, is like this is like the difference between your movie just kind of being like a bad B movie and just genuinely being creative, fun sci-fi that you should take your time to watch, Mm -hmm. is, like, this was just, like, 
a tight rot rock pack set and then a video of a guy messing with a sock puppet. But <laughs> it actually looks like they're getting the shit beaten out of them. Yeah. I'm, I'm like stunned. David Lynch doing combat is surprisingly great. What I'm getting at is I really want him to do a hard sci-fi movie again. I, I don't think he ever will. Yeah, based I on, don't blame him. <laughs> based, on, based on what I've read about his uh, his emotional journey in making this movie and then seeing the way that it turned out, uh, it seems like he'll he'll never do anything quite like this ever again. He hates it, right? Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, he, he famously disavowed it because he he did not like what it became in the hands of the studio and he, he didn't have director's cut yeah it's, it's i bet really you the, the director's cut would have been sick yeah the funniest thing to come out of the scene is like paul just kind of mumbles to himself he goes the worm <laughs> spice is there a relationship <laughs> yeah. which like wasn't this explicitly said to him like an hour ago <laughs> Yeah, I that mean, they're like the protectors. <laughs> yeah, it's like at, at this, I think at this point, yeah, you can you can see where they're frantically trying to uh, to just connect all of the dots. And yeah, that, and that's one of the moments where they're just like, okay, we're just gonna do the legwork for you. Like right we, here, we're, they're we're, protecting we're, yeah. it. You guys happy? Yeah, we, we have an hour <laughs> left. Like let's 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 go. I just wrote down as Paul ADHD coded. <laughs> <laughs> I can say it. I'm heavily medicated with Vyvanse. <laughs> Paul officially gets ordained his title by what looks like the cast from Mad Max. In here, they have uh, cool shit like water, uh, very blue eyes. I, it's it's a, it's about this point in the movie where I understand why this movie gets so much shit. Mm-hmm. Like after an hour of just what I would call a great science fiction movie, mm-hmm. um, it. Ugh. It just stomps on the gas, and they're literally trucking through, like, I'm not kidding, 70% of the book mm-hmm. at a pace that felt like season eight of Game of Thrones, you know? Yeah. Just like, Dad, let's just, let's just get through this. We, we all want this to be over. Look, look, I'm trying. <laughs> which, makes it, which makes it funnier that the, the uh, training montage feels like it's, it's half an hour long. Yeah. It's so long. <laughs> It's weird how that made it through, but all the war shit didn't. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, yeah. It was, I guess, it was, it was a, it was a eighties movie, so you have to have a training montage, and it has to. That's have, right. It has to have sick ass guitar solos. <laughs> Is Paul Atreides, uh, Rocky coded the greatest podcast episode in the history <laughs> of the show? Locked. By the host, after three and a half hours of discussion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kyle MacLachlan really did an admirable job with this yes. incredibly difficult task laid out for him. Like, I thought, I thought he brought a lot of charisma to a role that is, you know, halfway through he he becomes an unthinking, unfeeling time lord. So you kind of have to, you kind of have to get all of your character development in before that happens. Yeah. So people will keep watching the movie. No, trust me, you should be invested in me. Yeah, I'm yeah. a great guy. Remember the box, guys, please. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. There's, 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 and it's funny that there's, there's two training montages. One before he loses all human emotions, and one while he's while he's becoming a godlike deity and uh, training training all of the Fremen to... To do cool magician shit, like <laughs> lift keys with your mind and make rock go big, boom. <laughs> they're bending Which... spoons. They're, 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 yeah, they're, they're, they're rotating <laughs> cubes with their minds. Oh my god. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up, because I can't do that. No. I get so angry at the fact that people can just imagine a block in their mind and spin it. Couldn't be that me. to me is witchcraft. Couldn't be me. Like it's little moments like that that had I been born in like the 1600s, I'd believe in witches. Mm-hmm. This scene, again, like it's moving at the speed of light, and um, there's a whole thing about like this water that they drink, which causes a premature birth, mm-hmm. which just allows david lynch to give us a breather 
which this probably was put in as a breather, mm-hmm. where we see what the inside of a womb probably does look like, like in a medical sense. Yeah. Like that bloody vat with this baby with these scary beady eyes just kind of submerged in this dark red blood that immediately cuts to the Harkonnens hosing rotten meat off of the ground (laughs) in their base, (laughs) which is an all-time funny edit to me. It is so disgusting. It's so funny. Did you see that? Yeah, and it, it... I'm also, I'm watching Nip Tuck right now, and it reminded me of, of one of the awful, awful smash cuts that they do in that show. Hit me. What, always, what's, what's the worst? Uh, there's just uh, various various shots of uh, genitalia being removed, and then a smash cut to some kind of food that resembles genitalia. <laughs> it's the, the, it's the, like the, in the, Game of Thrones, yeah, it's, with, it's the, the, with the hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the kind of thing that, that Game of Thrones would, would go on to perfect. I love nasty editing like that. <laughs> it's like, all right, they will not let us release what we actually want to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this person who's about to have, you know, like a hammer smash their head, we're just going to have the, the potato masher just and, go to town on a warm pot. Yeah, it's still it's still totally fine just by the, the power of suggestion. Who are you? I am the Shattered Mapes. The house... I must cleanse the way between us. You saved my life, and we Fremen pay our debts. Fremen? It is known to us that you've a traitor in your midst. Who it is, we cannot say. Well, there's some, there's uh, a real doozy of implied violence in this scene with the Harkonnens. Oh, the, with the Which, cat? Uh... Yeah, the, the cat, and uh, before that, with the, with the boy slave. Oh, which yeah. We should, we should talk about. Yeah, we should. Re- remember in part one of this podcast episode when we talked about the depraved psychosexual rage of the entire extended Dunoverse and how that's very much a serious take and not riffing? Boy, is that present here. Ooh. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, honestly. I think the like the the first time I, w- I watched it, um, I I remember thinking uh, all of the Harkonnen scenes were really gratuitous. Um, but this time I read it in conjunction with some of LGBT scholars who have written about it. And uh, do you want to go into that? Yeah, there's um there's some there's some uh, homophobic overtones to that specifically to the to the scene with the boy slave. I can completely understand that angle yeah um i mean the implication that they had when they first introduced it that scene that i was uh that my notes app weirdly crashed for um there's a there's a whole lot of god i'm probably gonna be beeping a lot of these words there's a whole lot of like that happens with like the chest and the removing it and then the blood from it and Mm. the boys are all they're young compared to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it really does reek of like gay panic. Yeah. You know, it's like the, or what, what, what you could argue is, you know, oh, this is the depraved nature of homosexuality and how, you know, the, the obsession with blood and the purity of blood and, you know, the hedonistic nature of there not being a monogamy, really, in the society. It's mm-hmm. people are air quotes just passed around. Um, yeah, I can totally see how it is interpreted as intensely homophobic. Because that's all of the tropes that have, like, damned LGBT people forever. Yeah, I mean, you have, you know, aside, aside from the fact that he's, he's praying on this boy you have uh the baron harkonnen is characterized by having these weeping sores and just being physically repulsive and yeah yeah, there's yeah there's also fat phobia of course oh yeah yeah it's 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 really it's really hard to look at in you know in the in the contemporary light of day and not uh and not see that facet of it and also to think about that this was this like this came out two years after the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. I was so, just thinking that. 
which was like this obsession with like the the transmission of stuff through body fluids and you know on top of the psychosexual rage that we've been talking about this like this hedonistic quality of like this unbelievably morbidly obese man who Mm -hmm. feeds on the young and the men that are literally like obligated to have sex with him to Mm -hmm. be consumed by him that's not a coincidence you know (laughs) that's that's very much interpreted to be uh you know read as that yeah it's 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 not ambiguous at all and it's just it's a very it's it's a really awful shorthand to use to establish that these are bad people like they're bad because they're hedonistic right all right, fine. Society of excess. But with their hedonism comes the things that you find morally repulsive, which is like men saying men's skin is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the allusion to syphilitic sores on the face. The consumption of the young and innocent. Like, this is just gay panic shit. Yeah, there's. it's just deeply, deeply problematic. Yeah, ideas, I, I, I think it's fair about, to say. Yeah, there's just, there's just, it's just a sort of replication of these ideas about, you know, impurity and, you know, tainted blood. and. It's body horror, but for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Uh, this gets undercut by a scene where somebody is told to milk a cat, which has a rat duct tape to it. Can you, um... Can you help explain what this means? I don't know what's going on. In I this also, part of the I also movie. wasn't. I wasn't totally. I wasn't totally on board with what uh, what was going on here. <laughs> My understanding is that he he has to he has to milk this cat every day for the rest of his natural born life to get the antidote to the poison. Um, I guess I guess it's just supposed to be an elaborate torture. As you know, as as everything the Harkonnens do to their enemies is. Yeah, it's it's specifically the phrasing of "milk the cat" mm-hmm. that has stuck with me. Yeah. I've forgotten a lot that's happened to this movie, and as I'm going through my notes, I'm like, "Oh yeah, that happened." Yeah. But "milk the cat" is very much in the forefront of my mind. Yeah, that one. That one was just uh, immediate, immediate full body reaction. <laughs> we brought you a little cat, Sufa. You must care for it if you wish to live. A poison has been introduced into your body, Sufa Hawaz. By milking this this smooth little cat's body, you receive your antidote. It must be done each day. This cuts to a training montage, a hallmark of 80s cinema, as you brought up. Which is um, a young group of uh, a militia, an uprising, whatever you want to call them. Uh, They start to break things with their minds and also their brass knuckles that are also guns Mm -hmm. using a technique called the weirding way, which feels incredibly on the nose at this point in the movie. I don't even know what to add. They blow up a perfectly good pyramid. That's all that I have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I want to be perfectly clear. Everything that's like happened in this movie that we've just recapped for probably like the last twenty minutes happens in what like three minutes and thirty seconds. Yeah, and this like, is <laughs> and this is this is after a front half where there's about twenty minutes of pure exposition and nothing else. Yeah, moving at the pace of what yeah. space travel probably is. You know. Yeah, and this and this part I think contains most of what. Uh, diehard fans were probably really upset with because oh the, the I can only imagine the the interpretation of the weirding way literalized things that in the in the books were described as more um, like more metaphysical um, specifically the weirding modules were not they weren't physical objects in the books they were just um, they they didn't exist. Um, so you have you have people with these with these devices doing the things that they were just like doing with their minds. But I think yeah, I think I think Lynch and company felt like that was going to be too difficult to convey. So they they chose to make them literal actual devices instead. Yeah, I mean it very much is an '80s action movie. If you know whether we want to admit it or not. So I mean, 
thing go big boom because special boy is the plot of like most movies that came out of that decade through sound and motion you will be able to paralyze nerves shatter bones set fires suffocate an enemy or burst his organs we will kill until no harkonnen breathes arakeen air I think that this is the biggest issue with the movie to me. Mm-hmm. And it's not that Dune is inaccessible. It's that you can't just rock it through half the book and expect people to have any fucking idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, what's the water stuff? Why does his name make stuff explode? Mm-hmm. Why does he all of a sudden have the ability and confidence to kill a big old worm? This, to me, is why the movie, like, fails. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, it still is a fantastic time. It's a it's the best bad movie I've ever watched. But, like, I don't know. It's it's the one thing that's giving me hope about Denis Villeneuve's Dune, which is that he's breaking it up into two parts, and that mm-hmm. is the only thing putting my mind ease, other than the fact that him and his team are incredibly talented, and they haven't had a dud yet. But, like, man, I I just... It's, 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 it's going to be a tough task, you know? Yeah, I'm... I'm I'm really I'm really curious to see how he does it. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic because I think I think he's the kind of director that gets that you need you need to have an emotional hook with something that takes place on this grand of a scale. Yeah, he's done space thing. right before. Yeah. For all the faults that like Arrival had, it's still a wonderful slow burn sci-fi. Oh yeah, I I cried. Yeah, Dune I has cried to be sure. a slow burn sci-fi. Like, it just has to. And yeah. If there's one guy for the job, plus a team of hundreds, I need to stop doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult sell because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a white savior movie. Yes, it very much is. In, uh, in, our, in our current <laughs> era. So it'll be interesting to see what he, what he does or doesn't take away from that uh, central reality of the story. All right, so just... For, for one second, imagine with me, mm-hmm. Joss Whedon's Dune. Oh, no. So, oh. Paul Atreides is deemed <laughs> Muad'Dib, and he goes, I'm a dweeb? And he looks over to his female companion. She goes, it's, uh, it's Muad'Dib. And then he looks over to another guy, and he goes, um, so that's a thing. How, how are you liking it so far? I, I love it. No <laughs> notes. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> All right, good. Christ, why'd I write that? If, if you thought that speeding through the plot was bad before, it gets even worse after this. Like, it immediately cuts to guys who are just coated in paint and then a red handprint and he says something, which immediately cuts to them laying siege on, uh, like, a, a fortress. And again, this is, like, literally in, like, 15 seconds, we've gone from, uh, what is it? the him taming a worm to seizing a fortress like it's it i i I just wish art could exist i just Mm -hmm. wish they would have just given him the time and the budget that he needed that's the the biggest takeaway i have from this this kicks off what we call the rest of the movie which is that like they managed to tame a worm or two in this weird tandem cowboy scene yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, <laughs> he, like it, literally, as the reins like a horse. This is well. This is this is where that Brian Eno and Toto soundtrack just went off. Yes. <laughs> Laying his head on the keyboard. Yep. <laughs> it's so loud. It's thematically, it is the strangest, coarsest. Um, juxtaposition to like what should be like this airy lively e major song and it's just like (laughs) instead it was it was epic yeah it was it was oddly cyberpunk in a time that that didn't exist i mean it felt it felt um it felt like a cliche 80s movie moment like it, it felt like parody yeah almost yeah. It was like, yeah, it, it almost felt like it was like satiring what was going to be coming next. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Th- this Like, this would become the predominant trope of 80s action movies. And, it's, yeah, and it's it the, seems to be... You're not too bad, kid. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just it was just playing completely straight. Yeah. <laughs> Russo has called a big one. Again. 
It is the legend. This, again, rapid-fire montage of, like, apparently Paul's sister now exists, and she's speaking like the girl from The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. Uh, They wage war on people who look like stormtroopers. It all feels like a game of pretend from when you were, like, eight years old. Mm -hmm. That's, like, my (laughs) takeaway from that. Like, did you ever play those games? Like, you're like, I have a cannon, and that turns you into a mermaid that's also on fire, and also your legs are rocks now. Oh, yeah, just, just uh, <laughs> uh, like, the shifting rules of, of children's games, yeah. <laughs> That's what this movie becomes. Yeah, I actually, I had to rewind because I, I forgot where Aaliyah came from. And it was like... Oh, hit me. I was just like, oh, she she just showed up. Like, I knew that Paul had a sister. I, I like, didn't, I didn't see her getting born, but her, her birth is just sort of... Uh, dealt with like it's the the water scene right yeah. isn't she the baby that we see um, and she's like eight now yeah there's just there's just a time job that's the spice baby we love science <laughs> i fucking love science <laughs> oh man Frank Herbert certainly it really sucks he loves science he was he was a I fucking love science guy. Yeah. Frank Herbert, moderator of the Facebook group I fucking love science. Herbert uh Herbert Family Estate, don't read this. Don't listen. <laughs> yeah. This. God, wouldn't that be funny if we both get sued? Like how dare you? He hated. After all this, we get our big payoff. Paul trained with the blade in Roblox just to finally be able to use it to kill a ginger, his lifelong dream. He screams so loud after this that the floor breaks beneath him. It, th- this almost like became like an anime series finale at this point. Yeah. Because nothing matters anymore. Nothing mm-hmm. makes sense. And you know what? That's all right. And I, I think I'm smelling smoke. <laughs> someone, <laughs> is someone cooking something in here? <laughs> I give up. That's Dune. Roll the credits. credit song was so funny it's <laughs> it just it, it just it bears no relation to the movie that came before it yeah it it feels like an anime yeah like how it's like everything's all intense and then it's almost like that like <laughs> the moving the, the moving headshots of, of all the characters with that weird uh jurassic park cafe font <laughs> next to it <laughs> <laughs> with the characters with their arms crossed because he was like, yeah. you know what, maybe we'll get a sequel. They should know their names. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that was that was the thing that I kept that I kept thinking about too, was um Virginia Madsen was really excited about this movie because she greatly admired everyone else in the cast and was like really excited to work with David Lynch and was really excited about Dune itself and she was signed on for two sequels after this which obviously did not happen. Damn, I wonder um, why. Yeah. But that's, <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of crushing to think about because like I can, I can I can imagine just having really high hopes for this thing and then uh, you know, and then having it taken away is just This was probably slated to be like the next Star Wars. Oh yeah. And like all it did was faceplant. And well, can like you imagine imagine taking your family and your young children to see what you thought was the next Star Wars <laughs> to then... go see Joss Whedon's Dune. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> oh Man, imagine God. the the boil scene and everything and having like your 8-year-old that you're like, "No, you'll love these books." Yeah. And your kids like, yeah. "I I'm not really that much of a reader." And you're like, all right, well, we'll just watch the movie. And you're there, and then your daughter has to look at you in the eyes and go, Dad, I don't like this at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, so final verdict. Alyssa, do you recommend Dune? Would you recommend it to someone that you love? Yes. 
Hell yeah. All right, I'm, I have the same exact answer. That's good. What would your pitch be? I would, I would, I would definitely preface it by saying it's a failure, but it's like no other failure you're ever gonna see. Yeah, <laughs> it's who's it's a miracle that somebody of David Lynch's caliber was asked to make a sci-fi movie this difficult. Yeah, there's maybe two directors alive that could probably do this at all, mm-hmm. and weirdly, David Lynch is one of them. Yeah. Like, a space war movie. Mm-hmm. I, d- I don't see a single director doing it better. Alyssa, I want to thank you so much for coming on and um, making our way through Dune, the most movie ever of all time. Do you have anything you want to promote? I do not. Nothing at all? Nothing at all. Good for you. <laughs> you're, just, you're just living. I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast and uh, go, go watch Dune. Go take yeah, someone you love, sit them down in front of it, and say, you will love this. <laughs> I might I might go watch it a third time. Hell yeah. And just watch my, watch my notes become uh, increasingly more distressed and unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> that you use fewer and fewer words. Yep. For real? Okay, I guess my cat's telling me it's time to stop recording, <laughs> so... Uh, let, I hope I found some royalty-free Brian Eno and Toto sounding music to take us out to. <laughs> and just, and just like, like a man heavily, heavily medicated, medicated for an odd infection in his intestines, our, our journey with the worms is gone. Is gone. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sorry for that. that. I've been, been thinking, thinking about, about worms. Worms, worms in the sand. Worms in the rocks. rocks. Where else else will they put these funny funny fellas? The spice that controls everything is... is now worms. Your consciousness? Worms. Your anxiety for what tomorrow holds? That's worms too, baby. That worm you saw on the ground? That's... I shouldn't need to explain that that's worms. Join us next week. Join is... Join us next week for our next adventure, which, in the end, will too be consumed by the worms, or it'll be a Jim Jarmusch movie. Only time will tell. Only time will tell.